0: why they just say the danes are the most the the happiest people in the world because they're so pessimistic they're like oh i'm gonna miss my train and then hey i made my train i'm happy now rather than oh i'm gonna make my train oh shoot i missed my train now i'm bummed out back to barefoot to Emmaus. this is char hello.
1: hello this is byron and just so y'all know we just finished finals so we're all feeling pretty good about ah! that well, and mm, yeah mostly yeah <laughs> i was just complaining about one of my systematic theology papers but it's all good it is in the past now it doesn't matter it's in the
0: past whatever the past is maybe we'll have to talk about that sometime but We're not
1: talking about the past day. What are we talking about, Byron? We are talking about uh, one of my favorite theological ideas, which also wormed its way into our benediction. If you've heard for the last couple of episodes, we've been ending with this wonderful benediction, uh, and I'll just say it now so uh, we know what we're talking about, Um, benediction (laughs) that we worked on together, but char mostly Uh, approved and codified by the end was uh, may you find wonder in the mundane hope amidst the chaos and comfort in the love that makes you you go in peace so this isn't the end of the episode episode. don't go anywhere we have a long way to go yet um so so we're talking about those three ideas wonder in the mundane hope amidst chaos and comfort in love and in the love of identity identity of love
0: is this yeah. just going to be a fire hose if we're going through these three giant ideas?
1: I mean, I was thinking about really? just the first one, yeah, right, wonder in the mundane, and I honestly thought i mean i have I have a couple small theological thoughts that I've put together in my mind over the course of the last number of years, but I think we need an hour to talk about three of them. I don't think you know I don't want to deep dive necessarily into any of them.
0: You know, I feel like our flavor is just to start somewhere and see where it takes us. So if yeah. we get to all
1: three, if we just go to one There's a lot of different formats of how we've been doing these and I think it's I think it's good. Tell us what you think, by all means. Um buy <laughs> Feedback, all means. question mark. There's a section on the website. Um, There's website <laughs> there is a website for that. There is a website for that. So yeah, I mean, there's ones where, you know, Char or I pick a topic that we really, really love, and then we're the ones primarily explaining it while the other person kind of draws out juicy details. There's, um, there's ones where we're just kind of going back and forth in a new thing that we just learned. There's,
0: or sometimes we just pick something that we don't really have any expressed thoughts about yet, and just kind of explore, and that can go a lot of different directions. Yeah. Sometimes we have to cut out a lot of uh, confusion. <laughs> That's the tea. That's
1: the tea. All right, so, Wonder in the Mundane. Wonder in the Mundane. So, <clears throat> this has come up a lot, actually, recently. In the youth group that we're both a part of, but then before that, even, one of our friends, uh, Pat Hodges. Shout out to Pat. See you there. We love you. Um, we do. And Okay, so he gave this talk... A long time ago in this youth group um about this this idea of quote-unquote feeling god mm, these yeah. mountaintop experiences this kind of classic youth group thing where the goal like high school youth group thing where the goal by the end of the weekend retreat is to get everyone crying <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, that's why they don't give you enough sleep <laughs> it <laughs> just like where are you
0: out for the right god moment at the end yeah god moment. very formulaic that's, that's that's really kind of no weird. complaints i had some
1: <laughs> great crying weekend trips yeah I, I had a fun weekend trip i came back from a gay conference yeah. and um was really like feeling it in a mostly positive way but also on this kind of like now i'm coming back to the real world um, and I had this moment of like holy laughter,
2: mm. um,
1: there was also tears in that weekend, uh, from the sense of loss and other things, but I hadn't, that's the closest I've ever come to speaking in tongues. Wow. Yeah. It was just like this the laughter. Yeah. this just like divine sense of uncontrolled spiritual laughter. There have been some times that
0: I've heard laughter and it's definitely, I don't know how you tell, but for some part of myself it just mm. resonates with it being like that's, that's holy laughter right there. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting
1: thing. So. Do you
0: feel like, Mm -hmm. sorry, quick interruption here. Do you feel like those retreats or conference or whatever it is Mm -hmm. where you get sleep deprived and emotionally exhausted to the vulnerability of having some profound awakening moment, whatever, is that real? Or is the preparation, we we don't have to talk about this if this is going to go in too much of a bunny trail, but I'm just curious about that. Do you think it's real? those experiences are they how
1: would you contrived?
0: define real i mean your connection with god if it's a god moment is it a god moment or is it a broken down human emotion machine you know like you, you didn't oil the machine and now it starts to smoke and then you call that fire or something
1: real i mean so here's the thing in this paper that i bombed one of my like one of my main ideas was that god and you know what this was in your sarah and hagar paper as well that yeah. god redeems literally everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that is certainly our hope, if not our experience. So, I mean, kind of, right, I have this conviction that if there's a little old lady who is being, uh, you know, she, watch, she watches some televangelist and gives money to some dude who then use that uses that money to buy a jet, right, like, I think God sees that devotion and that intention. Totally. In the same way that, like, I think you could accidentally, I don't, you know, To malicious or, like, uh, not maliciously, I don't know. I don't think it would be possible to, like, contrive or manufacture a god moment, necessarily. Hmm. But but I think sleepiness is... (laughs) Right, we're, we're getting near a solstice. And I think solstices are these spiritual moments where the veil between the physical and the spiritual is thinner. Ooh... Ooh! <laughs> um, I think the same thing. I think a similar thing happens on full moons and new moons and, and whatever. I'm not into astrology a ton, but I do think that the physical world is more spiritual than we give it credit for usually. I like that Avatar talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, waterbenders lose their power during oh, <laughs> <a week. laughs> and, and all that stuff. <laughs> no, but but I think there's a spiritual reality there, and, and in a similar way, I think there's a type of, of human awareness, consciousness, control, technology is sometimes seen as the opposite of, of nature or like spirituality sometimes. And I I think that's true. And I think when we give up a little bit, that sense of awareness and control, like for instance, when someone is tipsy or intoxicated or high Mm -hmm. or something like, I think there's, there's a thinning of the veil between themselves and what they're expressing. I think when people are sleepy, a similar thing happens. So mm. There's a sense that in our
0: very mind-dominated world, mm. that we overprocess things in a way that is real, mm-hmm. but it is only one aspect of reality. Sure. And so you bring in your heart, you bring in your spirit, you bring in any other aspect to your experience, and that adds richness in a way that the mind alone cannot get to. And so when you allow the mind to settle, yeah. or to have some other experience such that other things can come up, I do believe that the novelty of such an experience does allow for a more unique connection with God, or with yourself, or yeah. with reality in any way.
1: I love that. Yeah, and and what that gets to me, what that gets to for me, is this sense of the mundane. Hey, bringing it back! <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm serious, right? It's, it's these options between like a mountaintop experience. So, um... It's called a mountaintop experience, largely because of the story of the Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9? I think it is. Sure. Um, I I think it is. Uh, And Jesus goes up with James, John, John. and Peter, Mm -hmm. and is revealed in all of God's full glory, which I guess is an interesting Trinitarian thing. Like, was there more Jesus? Does it say that? all of god's glory no it doesn't but that's the image right he like shines forth brilliantly and god says this is my son and whom i am well pleased yeah Sorry, i guess god sounds like patrick stewart from god's <laughs> god's. i feel like uh it
0: can't be all of god's glory in the way that would have like, have fried yeah that would have <laughs> literally fried the
1: brains okay it was lots of god it was knowledge. lots of god it was glowing yeah yeah this shekinah glory this mm. this glowing metaphor or idea and it affected them right it affected peter and james and john peter's like let's just stay here forever let's build a a a booth (laughs) at least um a booth but then he comes back down and literally one chapter later i think or no maybe i'm getting my bible bits mixed up but there there's these revelatory moments where peter gets it Mm. right there's another moment in the bible where Jesus asks, like, who do people say I am? And they're like, oh, you're a you know, prophet or whoever. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? This moment, this revelatory moment where Peter gets it. Um, it's this intimacy with understanding and revelation and all these things. And then they have to go back the mountain, go, go back down the mountain and life gets normal again, mm. right? The next chapter after Peter's uh, confession of faith Jesus is saying get behind me Satan. <laughs> right? So we get we get these hills, we get these valleys.
2: Yeah. And not a good be, look
1: for Peter. Not, not a great <laughs> look. And and we can get very wrapped up in the hills are close to God and the valleys are away from God. And and there's something to be said about that, I think. But there's mm-hmm. also the plains, the mundane. Yeah, know, the the regular everyday life type of stuff. The plateau, the plateau. And I think wonder in the mundane is all about knowing that god has incarnated into regular flesh right we're at christmas time one of the one of my least favorite christmas songs aside from santa baby is yes. <laughs> santa baby So hurry down the chimney to rose, me. rose uh. is no crying he makes oh yeah i love what you the I heck right <laughs> Baby Jesus definitely cried, definitely shat his pants. like totally. All of those things. You know, there's a weird verse that says, Oh, the angels will guard you and make sure that you don't strike your foot upon a stone. Um, in that voice. In, in exactly that voice. We have um, British angels. And... I think that takes away from some of the mundaneness that had to have come with the reality of the incarnation. Yeah. So, if we view...
0: I mean, how many days of Jesus' life are not told? Most of them. Most of them. (laughs) The vast majority. And although there are surely many wonderful moments that, ah, if only we could have had that captured, if only we could have been a fly on the wall for such a moment, there are also so many other moments that are not that. I think we were having this conversation Mm. before, of like, Jesus, when he's sleeping, is that somehow... A new profound holy revelation, or is that just the reality of his humanness? Well, and is
1: every moment of his sleeping some new revelation yeah, exactly. moment of like you could you could gaze at the sleeping Christ and be like, I understand like a new scripture from, from this. One moment, moment to the next in a way that's different. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say that you feel the same amount of godness, you know, from a moment of Jesus sleeping or. I don't know, like, walking, taking random steps as he sure. walks everywhere, um, as something like the moment of the crucifixion, or the moment of the transfiguration.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, it's hard to say that that's a, a... It's it's hard to say that that's not a less holy moment.
0: Yeah, it's it's important in a different way. Uh-huh. And I think it's important in the fact that it is mundane. In the fact yes. that it is human. Yes. Which is getting to what you were saying.
1: Yeah, because... Um, The result of this, you know, contrivance of trying to get teenagers to cry and feel God, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Number one for boys, that's that's somewhat difficult in our culture. Yeah. Right. We have this double standard where where the only way to really know that you're saved, so to speak, for Protestants, um, is Calvin would hate this. Especially because I've experienced this mostly with Presbyterians, is this <laughs> is this tingly feeling of like, oh, I I'm suddenly close with God, or I had a God moment, and so then you where's have... where's the tingly feeling happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you get this issue of chasing that, right? Chasing this high, yeah, and it and then you know you get stuck in this low, and then you feel away from God, and then there's the mundane where you just forget about God, and if we if we construct all of Spirituality to be this chasing of a high that makes everything else less profound, less meaningful, yep. less bearable, less good, less divine. Can I clarify? something? Sure.
0: when you're talking about the mundane mm-hmm. or even the low, are you talking about the temporal? So talking about this world and our human experience kind yeah, of lows and highs? Or are we talking about a spiritual sense of mundane or low? Because what I've heard often from many people is that in their states of earthly low when things around them are just going awry those are often the moments that they feel god closest so there's kind of this reversal that it's it's through the brokenness often that they experience both their dependence on god and trusting god and god showing up in a profound new way so are you you talking about in an earthly sense or in a spiritual sense
1: i think some net combination of both like if you were to You know, because I wouldn't count it as a net low if the spiritual uh, reality is is high in that moment. And I think you can get two different types of of people: people who turn to God when things are bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, the the number of people who went to church after nine eleven happened or whatever was a lot. Yeah. Um, so people tell me I was five. Um, so heck if I know. I was also in the Middle East at the time. So. Different vibes. Um, yeah. Very <laughs> you different know, vibes. So, so you get this idea of, you know, people turn to God when they feel like they need God. And that's a type of um, you using God. Or a common... I don't know what the right word. Appropriating God Ooh. for your own purposes. Mm. It can be. It can be, at yeah. The, at the, in the reverse, sometimes people only relate to God when things are going well. And they think, oh, you know, I'm good, so this is when I will praise God and do all these things. But as soon as anything goes wrong, they, they just forget that God exists and is there. So yeah, it it's kind of a
0: spectrum. Mm-hmm. And there, I'm sure you could be multiple places on the okay. spectrum at the same time. Like you feel God both when it's low and high, but not the middle or whatever. I think for myself, I tend to veer towards the side of feeling God more when things are good in the sense that as I experience the goodness of this world, hmm. my heart naturally goes to being, that's God, grateful and praising and God, God, and grateful to God, and, yeah. and worshiping God, and that, and then when things get wrong, I'm not someone who gets angry at God, honestly, if I were, that would be a more intimate connection with God, I go into this self pres mode, where it's like, okay, I need to fix this now, hmm. and so I hunker down, I'm in my mind, doing the work instead of trusting in God, that's often where I find myself,
1: yeah. And you're right to point out that, in some sense, neither of those are mundane, so I guess i I don't really mean the lows either because yeah, because exactly of that thing, some people feel God feel a spiritual high in a physical low, so to speak
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and reverse and all of that um yeah, the mundane like the the completely boring things, like when you're boiling a pot of tea or when you're mm-hmm. like. Walk into school or something. Yeah. Um, there's another. I'm. <laughs> this has been in my brain. and I kind of just want to say it. It's it's weird. Prepare yourself.
0: Dude. You know.
1: But like those moments when you're like picking your nose or like scrolling through uh, Instagram, just vegging out, doing nothing, or like pooping or <laughs> farting or something. Like sometimes when I was little, I like I like would apologize to God if I was praying and I like burped or something. Huh. And real, like, somewhat recently in the last couple of years, I was like, "That's stupid. <laughs> That's such a human thing to do." Yeah. God is no like. God, God is no respecter of persons. In. It, it, yeah. Twenty-two-year-old Byron's like, you know what? I can
0: burp in front of God. I
1: can burp in front of God. <laughs> anyway, fun, fun ideas like that type of mundaneness. Mm. Um, you know the. meaningless unsatisfactory little things um so i think god is in that right there's this communion element that can come in there that comments on they are regular elements it's just bread
2: yeah
1: it's just wine um if you're protestant sure (laughs) well even dare i say before the transubstantiation moment sure it is just common elements yeah um so so finding wonder in the mundane. Uh, communion is probably the most real example of this, that suddenly, you know, if you, depending on your beliefs of, of communion in the Eucharist and stuff, uh, suddenly this normal thing is indwelt with God's presence or God's substance. That's badass. That's really cool. It's really powerful. Um, and I think it, Another another kind of liturgical churchy idea is the sacraments. Right? Why do we have this idea that there are however many sacraments? Right? Protestants have two. Mm-hmm. Uh, other uh, ideas have seven. I think. But everything's a sacrament if you're perceiving God through it.
2: Yeah.
1: So everything can be deified in that way.
2: Mm.
1: And in that sense, we're not searching after the next high. We're not looking for. I don't know. That that God steps in in every single moment, not that it is life-changing necessarily, but that it is just present.
0: That God is present with you? Yeah. Do you need to be present with God for God to be present with you,
1: Um, or for it to
0: be significant?
1: Yes and no. I believe in two main forms of reality. One is the objective kind of reality wherein uh, uh, something is in God, you know, as God sees it, Mm -hmm. and then there's a relational reality of... You know, our perception of it is important. An image that I used in one of my papers is uh, little babies don't have object permanence. Yeah. So that's why Peekaboo is so fun <laughs> because your mom literally just disappeared for a se- I mean, terrifying baby too. Who knows? Sure. I don't know why babies aren't screaming during it's Peekaboo? It's a re- it's a real trip. <laughs> <laughs> but then she suddenly My mom is gone. And she suddenly comes back is like, "Oh, that's hilarious." Um, you know and it's this object permanence to that baby relationally for all intents and purposes mom is gone mom is gone yeah now in reality in in the Objective, wider physical sense yeah, she's not she's not so i believe that both of those are critically important and god takes both into account
0: what is the intersection of those like how do, how do you like if i'm the baby yeah and god is my mom and i'm in the mundane moment yeah and the hands are in front of my eyes and I don't see God in front of me. And I'm like, God's not there. But God is there. Mm -hmm. What does that do for me that God's there? Obviously, there would be a huge difference for myself. And I tend to be someone who values the objective reality as being substantially important. But practically speaking, I defer a lot to the subjective reality in terms of the way that we perceive the world, in a sense, is the way that the world is to us. And so, as that baby, metaphorically speaking, with my hands in, or, mm-hmm. yeah, hands in front of my eyes, I don't see my God-mama, mm-hmm. what does that do for me that God is still
1: there? Why does that matter? Um, I think because, because our perception is not the determiner of our reality. Let's say if in some like to extend this weird baby metaphor, like let's say a baby is breastfeeding in that moment, mm-hmm. right? They are their their mouth is clamped on their mother's breast. Mm-hmm. And then there's like eyes, you know, so you you don't realize your mom is there, but you are actively in that moment still gaining from her, even if you don't realize it. You're still being fed the sustenance of life yeah so in in a god sense right i i tend to think that there is something about god that keeps existence itself flowing and perpetuating and all of this great stuff we are benefiting from that whether we realize it's god or not yeah right that doesn't mean that god wasn't in it so that's that's part of my answer is that right i mean it's kind of like believe quote unquote believing in climate change yeah it's real right it (laughs) Affects you suck it up your belief. It's real. Your belief in it or not
0: Doesn't change the reality
1: doesn't change the reality. Yeah Um, And there's work to do Coming towards coming in alignment with the implications of that reality.
0: I like the image that you gave of the breastfeeding because it is helpful in Expanding on how we are still benefiting from God's presence even if we are unaware of it. Yeah, I think too with that closeness that intimacy in that moment of breastfeeding, that I'm sure the baby's body is still receiving a dopamine kick, or oxytocin. I think the one that's the, like the cuddle hormone, right? You know, the sense of like yeah. physical proximity and intimacy. And there might also be some anxiety going off of the sense of separation, which would <sighs> be like two cri- like um, counteracting yeah. hormones, almost. Like you know, they're a very strange experience. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're sending a the completely opposite message. Yeah. And yet, they, they're somehow coexisting in that both objective
1: and perceived reality. Yeah. I've been watching lots of baby videos on YouTube recently. Cute. Particularly baby psychology videos. Ooh! Right, like the still face experiment. Oh. Have you seen that one before? Yes, I have. Or like, there's one where there's this, like, chasm that's covered in glass. So mm. the baby, like, sees this chasm and they're like, I, I can't, I'm not gonna do that. Unless the mommy says it's Okay. Right. If the mommy is standing there saying yes, come, the baby will override. At a certain age, this works, and it doesn't work. The baby will override this fear factor, this this sense of like preservation, and come. That's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, as soon as a baby like comes to a certain age, they start to trust their own capacity more than uh, a ma- a mama. There's a proverb in there somewhere. There's a huge proverb. Babies are amazing. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, that's that's not the problem. Maybe it could be. <laughs> Babies are amazing. Yeah. Maybe it should be a problem. <laughs> I don't know. Any other thoughts on wonder in the mundane? Well, tell me a little bit about what you think wonder is. I mean, you've talked about God's presence in the mundane.
0: What is this yeah, aspect I guess, of wonder? I right.
1: most of what I've been uh, alluding to is this sense of sanctity of the mundane. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and therefore, I just presuppose that sanctity implies wonder. <laughs> that mm. if it is holy, and if we recognize it as holy, then our natural consequence is wonder. But it, I, I guess it doesn't have to be, right? You you made this comment of somehow we get used to this idea of God. You know, it should blow our minds every time we yeah. think about what God is.
0: We just don't have the capacity to not. always be at that mind-blowing level. No, we and do so not. And so eventually you have to just normalize it. Yeah. Somehow the the impossible to normalize becomes uh watered down to a normalized point to where you can talk about God and talk about salvation mm-hmm. and miracles and all these things in a way that doesn't constantly just for flow some, you to smithereens for each some time.
1: Well it does, right? Like my my grandpa will be drawn to tears almost every time he talks about like his convictions around mission work Mm. you know um, our our mentor my mentor will often be just drawn to tears there are certain people who are just like who they do they think about some you know to me mundane now concept of like the love of God and that concept I don't know if that concept itself has ever just like brought me to tears Mm. by itself, without, you know, a lot of facilitation of something like Advent or Lent or something. Um, I've definitely
0: been moved by the love of God on many occasions, but when I talk about it as a concept versus talking or thinking about it as an experience, it's very different for me. So when when I'm I'm connecting emotionally with that love, it can be really moving, really moving. When I am theologically... Discussing the love of God, it becomes reduced to a concept yeah. for the sake of efficiency in that conversation.
1: Yeah, which is just an odd thing. So, so wonder. Um, I think wonder has a strong sense of implying not having an answer, hmm. um, at least not uh, not perceiving an answer currently. I wonder. Um, it may imply not there not being an answer at all. Hmm. It implies wanting to know more. It definitely does. So or wanting to seek more. Yeah.
0: There's a curiosity and an intentionality. An activeness. Yes. It's not passive. You're not passively wondering.
1: Yeah, otherwise you're not really wondering, are you? No.
0: So, there is this indwelling of the sacred amidst the mundane. Perhaps the mundane itself is an aspect of sacredness. And we, for whatever reason, don't observe it as such on a normal, regular basis. It could be because of what we were just talking about of its consistency that just when you are saturated in the context of the mundane, making up so much of your life, it's very hard for that to always be significant. Mm -hmm. Or it could be about our capitalist society and how productivity is pushed on us in the mundane just isn't productive. Or it could be any myriad of reasons why you know, maybe there's some biological
1: programming that the mundane isn't helping us to Well, it's like getting used to a smell. You walk into a smelly room and after five minutes you you, forget about the smell you forget about it. Because your brain has and needs to do an efficient thing to Mm -hmm. you know, okay, it's not dangerous. You know, it's the same thing as stereotyping. Right? Your your brain categorizes for ease of communication. And so it's wondering, actually, a good thing. Yeah. Well, not not saying stereotypes are a good thing, but it's an efficient thing. Yeah. Um, that's part of human design.
0: Yeah. And so, wonder in the mundane is a kind of meditation, I think. It's a good way of putting it. And, I think even if we just took a few moments of every day to practice wonder in the mundane, yeah. it would help spiritually posture ourselves to being more attuned to the beautiful and complicated way that God is working through all things, both the good and the bad and the mundane.
1: Yeah, I think it gives us a sense of automatic humility. Hmm. Right, to imagine, sometimes I sometimes this happens for me with science, like to to look at a microscope or to like think about the idea of an atom and be like, "Oh my gosh, like God is in this thing." Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I that does, like, trigger water in me. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. yeah. No matter how small you go. Or how big you go. Or how big you go, yeah. So. Mm-hmm.
1: You know who talks about this idea a lot? Tell me. Scotty G. Scotty G. Scott Gronholtz and Macy Mooney. Um, in, their, in their wonderful podcast, they gave us a shout-out. We'd love to give them a shout-out. Um, no small thing. That's one podcast. of their... Great podcasts. That's one of their main things. They'll talk about the randomest, most mundane stuff, like chips, or... <laughs> I don't know. It's just like... Yeah. And we're, we're kind of... I, I was inspired by it, that posture.
0: Of finding meaning in the small, insignificant things. The yeah, like investigating,
1: investigating those things. Yeah. Looking for the treasure that is already there.
0: And through that curiosity yeah i mean you learn something about something that you never would have had thoughts about potentially but you also develop the skill or uh discipline of curiosity Mm -hmm. and inevitably with curiosity you also train yourself in this posture of unknowing the sense like you talked about of um wonder is not having an answer Mm -hmm. And so the more that we wonder, the more comfortable we become not having an answer.
1: Well, and is that a good thing?
0: I think it is. It doesn't mean that you settle for the non-answer, but it means that you are comfortable amidst the non-answer. And for so many questions that both have an answer and don't, it is important that we're seeking the answer, but that we're also very much okay in the non-answer because sometimes those aren't separate
1: does that lead to the second point which is hope amid chaos i think it does (laughs) i think it does nice job okay so
0: um well just to be fully transparent here. Um, I've been having a pretty rough day. There is someone that I didn't know particularly well personally, but, um, I was there when they were, um, released from their incarceration and I was part of their, the welcome crew for them. My sister is part of this wonderful group, um, that has, um, Readings and writing workshops focus around liberation, these ideas, in a community within, um, a carceral institution, as well as an outside group for the people who have been released. And so, this one guy, just a beautiful soul, um, recently passed away, and I've been reflecting on that, both in terms of thinking about his family and how they must be feeling in this and what it would mean if someone in my family passed away. And just practicing that empathy of trying to put myself in their shoes. But also thinking about the fact that he is my family. I mean, I really believe that as we lean into the interconnection of recognizing that there really isn't much that is separating all of us, that the message, the lie of otherness that you and I are separate are unconnected is a poison, and I could talk so much more about that later I won't now, but I believe that we are reconnecting with and restoring our humanity the more that we lean into the sense of being one with one with other people and so I just had this thought that this guy I'll call him Sam, is my brother and As I was thinking about that, I burst into tears. You know, that it wasn't just some stranger who had died, it was my brother who died. And I was reflecting back on an essay that I wrote for our systematic class on God and evil, the theodicy, the question of uh, where is God in the midst of evil? How do we reconcile this idea of an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, so all-powerful and all-loving, and omnipresent and omniscient, so all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, the sort of, you know, perfect primordial God, if you will, how do we reconcile that idea with the horrendous evil that we see around us? And there are a lot of different takes that people have had, and we don't need to get into that right now. The question for me is, what does it look like to have hope amidst that chaos? Hmm. And, as I was thinking about Sam, you know, it it, it dawned on me that the hurt that I was feeling was because of the love that I had for him. And I think that's my hope. That the pain that we experience is actually emblematic of something that is more powerful and that won't be destroyed by that pain by that evil
1: so you feel like you could say you loved him love him I do love him yeah how like I'm very actually I'm actually very curious about how do you say that you love someone who you met once well in that moment I saw
0: him and I saw his humanity and I saw the people who did love him and know him, and how much he meant to them. And I heard just a taste of his story and what his plans were. And after I heard the news today and was reflecting on his passing and what it meant for all these other people, Mm -hmm. it was just setting in more and more how important he is. How important he was to them, but just how important he is. And now that he's gone, that that leaves a mark on his community. And I'll tell you, you know, when I put myself into that perspective of him being my brother, that was really when the floodgates set off. Mm-hmm. And there was something about even not knowing him particularly well at all to say, this is someone who is my family. There was just this automatic... Sense of love. And I don't know if I have more words to it than that, but you know, when you welcome a child into this world, a mother or a father just automatically has love for them. And I don't know if there's any reason other than it's your kid. You know, it's your family. Or like if you adopt someone and that's your kid now, or you know, for the siblings, that's their sibling and there's just this sense of your your family and you know that family is a really loaded term for a lot of people and that it Mm -hmm. doesn't always have a sense of love um but in my experience even with long disconnection you know my sister emma has lived in sweden for the last like eight years now and so much of the time it's really hard because you know we we try to talk when we can but it's maybe once a month or so and it often feels like it gets cut off short and there's also so much connection that happens without words when you're just present with someone like mm-hmm. that's so much of what a relationship is mm-hmm. and so it's been hard to feel like i'm close to her a lot of the time and yet no matter what if i were to just You know, that hypothetical question of like, if you're on a stranded island, who would you pick with you? Mm -hmm. And Emma's absolutely one of the people that I'd pick, always. And the only reason why I can say that is because she's my sister. You know, because I love her. And that's not a fake love, it's a really genuine love. And it comes with my sense of connection to her. I'm connected to her because she's my sister. And so when I thought of Sam as my brother, I felt more connected to him. And I felt more... Affected by the loss.
1: Wow, that is really powerful.
0: Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's my sense of hope amidst the chaos. That's that's what I've got. Do you have any reflections on it?
1: I mean, I'm giving a talk next. Oh, tomorrow. Haha. Next tomorrow. (laughs) Next tomorrow. Next next 24 hours. Um, at the youth group that we we do uh, about peace. And one of the biggest ideas of peace uh, is an image that you shared with me. This idea of a dove in the in that hole yeah. of a rock in the midst of a storm. Um, I think I heard that from a
0: sermon from a pastor that we shall not name. But <laughs> hope that doesn't ruin the image for you.
1: It. I, I will make it not ruin the image for me. Uh, no, <laughs> he does not have that much power over me. Um, but. There's also this image, and part of me, it's not super relevant to this. Part of me wants to go take a moment to find this book and read this small passage about peace. I mean, again, so uh, we wrote wrote a paper, you wrote one about Sarah Hagar, I wrote one about Sarah Hagar, and my title was Psalm 46 says... A very present help in trouble mm. god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble and my title was was that in trouble yeah not from trouble in trouble you, you made a very good point about that um with the italics yeah in trouble not from trouble yeah so i, I think that's partly what peace is yeah. martin luther king jr said peace is not the absence of tension mm-hmm it is the presence of what did he say justice yeah presence of there's something my dad says that peace is not the cessation of violence it is the violence of cessation it's when everything when when the chaos doesn't get to you that's that's peace when there's no chaos it's not really peace right like you're you're not brave if there's nothing wrong mm mm-hmm. Sounds like your dad's talking more about
0: that sense of internal peace, internal liberation. MLK is talking
1: more about the societal, structural sense of peace. Um, Both are really important. I think I think I think my dad is talking about this this cosmic, spiritual sense of like the reality of peace that you find within yourself, though, right? Um, no, I mean the the whole passage in in context. Sorry, the passage I'm referring to is this book that I was also talking about looking for My dad wrote a book. It's very good. It's called Adam Without Eden by Sam Walker. I don't think it's in print anymore, but it's a damn good book. And if you can get a hold of it, you should. Um, let me say like a collector's item. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> I think I've promoted my dad's book more than any other human, including his publishers, but whatever. So yeah, he has this, this kick-ass passage about peace and it's, it's this idea of a lot of things it is it is social no more chaos it is personal no more chaos it is well Mm -hmm. i guess that gets different complicated because it's not necessarily no more chaos it's your ability in that moment to withstand the chaos Mm -hmm. so mlk right he did all his training of like are you able to withstand blows and not retaliate and that's peace Right, there was a guy, uh, Reverend. I think the name starts with a W. He marched with MLK, and he was relatively. I I was on a prayer meeting with him recently, hmm. and he was relatively adamant that it wasn't the civil rights movement; it was the American nonviolence movement. And he was very insistent about this terminology, hmm. and I I thought it was a little strange, but. Um, I mean, everyone has their own perspective. Well, largely because there were people from South Africa on this prayer meeting. Yeah. And they have just an unbelievably different reality with... Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, what is... Peace amidst the chaos. No, it was hope amidst the chaos.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: I think peace and hope
0: can be connected, though. You can have hope without peace, but there is also... A certain peace that I feel is is intrinsic to hope that that you cannot be entirely peaceless <laughs> <laughs> if there is hope in you.
1: Here's some things I want to say about chaos and hope um, that just that just kind of occurred to me. Chaos.
2: Mm-hmm. Tohu bohu. A, a great name. It's a great. It's a.
1: It's a. What is it? It's kind of like a onomatopoeia, mm-hmm. or it's an adjective in ancient Hebrew for chaos and void. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the word at the beginning of the Bible in the beginning uh, no what does it say? God created <laughs> in the beginning God created heavens and the earth. And and, and the earth was formless and void.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Whatever that is. In Hebrew that's the word tohu bohu. And it just kind of means Chaosy <laughs> way. Like that, that would be a better translation than this that would like be amazing. Than than kind of this like, you know, formless and void fancy sounding words. I just like the idea that there's a nonsense word in the within the first words of the Bible. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, the world was nonsense at that time. It was nonsense. But there was form from chaos. Mm-hmm. And so there's a question as to whether or not God created that chaos. But then enter Job at yeah. the end of Uh, the book of Job, God comes in and kind of tells this interesting creation narrative again, Mm -hmm. talking about the Leviathan and talking about how God like tamed chaos, but also didn't just tame chaos, but formed and harnessed and allowed chaos. So that chaos is not a bad thing. Sure. A lot
0: of the descriptors that God was speaking to of the wild animals in the Hebrew culture were representative of chaos. And so... Essentially, this image of God was sounding more and more to Job as the god of chaos, not only the god of order and beauty.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in, right, as at D&D, there's these delineations of, are you chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic evil? Uh, (laughs) Or lawful good, lawful evil, lawful whatever. So, this scale is not a moral thing?
0: Like lawful to chaotic? Isn't good to eat, good to evil?
1: Yeah, they're not the same thing. Yeah, that, that's why
0: that intersection exists. Thank which you, D and D, teaching us deep <laughs> theological constructs.
1: Yeah. So, so there's chaos, but there's also this question of hope, and this is the thing I love to talk about. I don't think I've said it before. Um, correct me if I have. But J.R.R. Tolkien talks about hope in this really interesting way in The Lord of the Rings. There are literally characters in The Lord of the Rings that can see the future. And there's this question of they're like, oh shit! <laughs> see, see future possibilities, right? Galadriel yeah, yeah. and the Mirror and Elrond, like they specifically have they're these like, conversations. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> and do they give up hope? Mm. To some extent, the answer is no. Yeah. And for Tolkien, especially for talking about humans who can't see the future, uh, Tolkien says that despair, hopelessness, is in fact a type of error Hmm. because we cannot know the future hopelessness technically is certainty of despair certainty that something won't work or won't happen um and it 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 would take so much knowledge and certainty that we cannot attain to technically actually give up hope
0: yeah there's a huge vulnerability to hope I mean, to put your hope in something and then to be let down is far more impactful than to never have hope at all and to watch that negative thing unfold. Or if something more positive comes, then there's a sense of, oh, surprise, good thing. That's why they just say the Danes (laughs) are the most the the happiest people in the world because they're so pessimistic. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm going to miss my train. And then, hey, I made my train. I'm happy now. Rather than, oh, I'm going to make my train. Oh, shoot, I missed my train.
1: Now I'm bummed out. Yeah. I don't know. That's a way to live. Right? I I tend to embrace a lot of stoicism. (laughs) And and I think it works. To a significant degree. Yeah. But hope amidst chaos. But I think the reason why I brought that up, too, just
0: poking a little bit. Poke. Poke, poke, poke. I also think that the hope in its vulnerability is beauty. Mm. That being let down isn't inherently bad thing it is painful but that doesn't make it bad there there is something inherently beautiful about having hope even when your hope is let down and so it's kind of like love in that way Mm. you know it's better to have loved and to have lost than to have never loved at all so goes the famous saying that I can't really remember who said it but good job you I resonate with that CS Lewis has this other image which I really like which is to say if you never want to get hurt well then, don't love. Lock your heart into a little tiny box and mm-hmm. store it away where no one will ever be able to get it. Yeah. But over time, your heart is going to become so hardened and cold and shriveled up that it will no longer resemble a heart. Now that's a rough paraphrase of what he said, but, yeah. you know, I have been there. I've been in that place where I've been locking my heart up in the past because of trauma that I experienced as a child and it was not good living Mm
2: -hmm. in
0: some ways it was safe but it was not good living and being able to be vulnerable to love and to be let down has been super painful but I personally think it's so worth it and I'd say the same with hope if I don't have hope that the future will Contains some of the healing and justice that I desire deep in my spirit What do I have to live for now like everything else feels so worthless? compared to this sense of God's kingdom reign being restored to something that I can perceive in this life Mm -hmm. sure I do have a future hope as well to the eschatological that which happens after my death. Mm -hmm. I have full faith in that But I am here in the now, and this matters. God put me here because this life matters. And so I have to have hope that God is doing something here. That this not only matters in its mundaneness, but matters in its restorativeness. That God is doing something to bring about hope in the midst of the chaos.
1: Yeah, to see God's goodness in the land of the living. That concept was very tied in with my response to the problem of evil, that that to a, to a very significant extent, I've, I've adapted uh, or adopted liberation theology ideas of communal responsibility oot, oot. <laughs> into, you know, God, God's responsible for the spiritual realities and has already taken care of all of that in God's time, uh, however that works we are largely responsible as humans, as community, as fine, as the stewards of the finite, Mm -hmm. you know, we are made in God's image. Part of that is ruling. Part of that is creation. There might be other parts, who knows, but it's definitely those two things. As far as I know, I'm concerned. And so we are God's stewards of the physical. If there's a physical thing that's broken and we're not fixing it, we are morally like sin wise, Mm -hmm. whatever. Complicit, complicit, culpable for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that gets back to your un- unity of of siblinghood. Yeah, um, body of Christ is another way to put it. Though we are we are all unified together. Yes, uh, I can speak so much to that, but I won't now. <laughs> because we got one more
0: thing: which, comfort in the hope, uh, comfort in the love that makes you you. Which I just love the way that we worded that. I mm-hmm. think it's really important and beautiful. And it's you. We started with something one of your theological ideas that you love, the love that makes you you is something that I really love and I will be brief on it now because I want to talk more about that idea later in its liberative nature. But for the time being. Yeah, what do we mean by that? To recognize, to just close your eyes for a second and recognize that every single detail of who you are, of what matters about your construct as a human being, was fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator of the universe. That you are intentional, and that you are desired, and that God, who doesn't make mistakes, In creating the whole universe said it's not complete without you in it that you are a vital part of the puzzle that is profound and in a way there's nothing else that matters I mean that is this pivotal point on the axiom of reality in my mind and that's the essential core of why it's so liberative because it's like if nothing else matters well then we are set free to live our lives in a way that reflects that sense of freedom, that reflects that sense of love and security, of knowing that at our core, we are loved and we are valuable. So I find comfort in that. It doesn't mean that I don't have depression and that I don't have loneliness and I don't have insecurities, because I sure as hell do. I struggle with that a lot and it comes in waves and it comes in seasons. But I, fundamentally believe that who I am. And when I say that, there are obviously a lot of different layers to who I am. The things that I like to do, the things that I have done, the thoughts that I have, the passions that I have, all these things, the clothes that I wear, like to a certain extent, it's all reflective of a bigger picture of who I am. And I'm not necessarily saying that all of those details are micromanaged and controlled by God in the sense that you are... Um, that any kind of expression, anything of you was already created beforehand. That's not what I'm saying. At your core, at your essence, who you are, which is to say, everything that matters in who you are, that was made by God, very intentionally, without fault. And I believe that about myself. And that is one of the things that gives me comfort in the midst of a world that sometimes feels like the opposite of that love Ooh, huh you sound surprised as if i don't talk to you about this often (laughs) maybe i need to talk to you about it more
1: no it's just a very profound idea and it's one of those things of like it's like aha wow yeah that's that's a significant thing right like advent comes around every year but we still sometimes are like wow that's so cool yeah hits you afresh yeah That is a nice thing about truth,
0: is that it's not like one and done, like, oh, you heard it now, can't hear it again. Yeah. So now you have heard just a little bit, scratching the surface of the depth of the theology and sentiment behind this benediction that we'd love to say over you. And I hope that as you go about your day, that you would carry these words with you, because they were intentional, thought out, and very meaningful and we mean them for you. You could be someone that I've never met before, that Byron's never met before, and that's awesome and we love that you're here. (laughs) And the truth of these words is no less true for you. These are not words that are strictly held within a relationship of me knowing who you are and therefore they apply, but in you being that beloved, creation of God, that beloved child of God, who exists in this world with the mundane and with the chaos. As we share in that as one humanity, this blessing is equally true for you as it is for me, as it is for Byron. And with that, may you find wonder in the mundane, hope amidst the chaos, and comfort in the love that makes you, you go in peace